Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast, where we learn to build heroes in our homes to help our kids be prepared for their life journeys. Hi, I'm your host, Molly Christensen, and I love to encourage and mentor you on your path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast, and today we have a real treat. I'm super excited to welcome my podcast guest today. He has been voted twice as America's top doctors. He is a clinical neuroscientist, an inspirational speaker, best-selling author, and an international coach. And he is affectionately known as Dr. L, the parent whisperer. I love that. He's on a mission to support and inspire and empower as many people as possible to step into their thrive and leave a legacy. So help me welcome today our founder of Role Model Maker and creator of the Amazing Parents Network. This is Dr. I'm probably not going to say this right, which is why you're called Dr. L, but (laughs) Dr. Ali Lankarani. Wow, that was pretty good. Awesome. Thanks, Molly. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, I forget to introduce myself to people, so everybody knows me as Dr. L, so thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on here on our podcast. So, I love that you're the parent whisperer, but I want to know, how did you get to that point? Tell us a little more about you and your story and how you decided to become what you're doing today with the parent whisperer. Absolutely. Um, So hello, everybody. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My name is Ali Lankarani. I am a clinical neuroscientist. My postdoctorate is in neurodevelopmental disorders. Uh, I ran a private practice uh, for 10 years where I helped families with children with autism spectrum disorders. Now, a little bit about that. I had to get the postdoctor to figure out what was wrong with me, because as it turns out, I am an ADHD child uh, that's had that before it was known. It was a diagnosis. And I was always described unanimously by all my teachers as this bright but mischievous boy that would get the message in the first 10 minutes of the class and would spend the remaining 15 minutes interrupting the class. So needless to say, I was not an easy child. I apologize to parents and teachers alike whenever I start talking. Uh, And during my private practice, as a result, I identified with both the children as well as the parents uh, that were raising these children. Um, So for one thing, um, the children were coming to me. They were six, seven, 10, 12 years of age. And by now they had realized that they're a little bit different than those around them. And the trouble was that they were starting to internalize as if there was something wrong with them. And as people who have children on the spectrum know, uh, raising a child with some of these symptoms like ADD, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, Asperger's, those type of things is not the usual parenting. So naturally there is some parent-child tension that develops and evolves over time as well. And depending on how you're brought up, your parenting style typically ends up differing. So there's some spousal relationship tensions in the process. And to add uh, more pressure to the whole thing, 
Uh, oftentimes the parents are trying to do the best for their kids, trying to throw everything at the wall, hoping that some therapy or treatment works. So there's financial strain in there as well. So long story short, I did not want the families, the children to be growing up with the similar hardships and encountering the same difficulties that I might've experienced growing up. So I wanted to step away and be more on the prevention side of things. So I decided to close private practice. Everybody questioned my sanity. I had an identity crisis that if I'm a doctor, I'm not seeing patients, then what kind of a doctor am I? Um, but long story short, it brought me to today where I am globally impacting lives and helping on the prevention side of things, helping families and parents lead happy and healthy lives where they can lead by example, showing the kids what a thriving life looks like. And so here we are. I love that because, I mean, I can see why people might question your sanity because you put in so much time, energy, and money to become a doctor. And then you decide, well, I'm going to leave my private practice. And instead, you're going to go out and help people and become an entrepreneur. Kind of yeah, a pivot. Ultimately, that, the, the success of the practice was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, as a person with ADHD, you know, I've been there, done that. There were medical schools, there was management and consulting companies, there were young doctors graduating from school, reaching out, trying to intern, trying to come and see how we do things in the office. And we had patients that were driving three and a half hours to see us. And I realized that the brick and mortar was actually a limiting factor that I wanted to serve in a bigger way. And that was pretty much the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> so, but I'm not, I'm not unhappy with the decision. I'm very happy with where we have ended up at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, so cool. And I love what you're doing. And I like how you reframe that too. You say it's the beginning of the end, but by that you just meant you felt like you were blocking yourself in. So, so one of the things that I actually talk about a lot of times is how people set goals, but if your goals are not in line with who you truly are, then the goals, whether you succeed at them or fail at them, become an end point to themselves. Like, for instance, how many times have you applied for a position, for a job, and then you get the job, and that's not exactly what you wanted it to be? Or, or we recognize kids, right? They're like, are we there yet? You were taking a road trip and they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then they get there. And then like five minutes later, they're like, I'm bored. Is there something to do? What are we going to do the next thing? You know, that anticipation is there. But then when it's realized, then you're like, okay, what else? So for me, it was like that, that, you know, I got to a point where I could impact lives. I was doing really good at it. But for me, the next level, the success was either to become a business owner and manage lots of different clinics or to have to step away and kind of serve in a different way. And that's what I ultimately chose to do. Uh, but it's important for us to always do this self-check and kind of figure out what we're all about, what kind of a legacy we want to leave uh, for the next generation. And that was the point for me that I'm like, you know what, I learned from this. This was a success. But the next level for me is to take what I have learned and apply it to something bigger where I can impact more lives. And I think as parents, we all do the same thing, right? Uh, we go ahead and try to help raise our children. But in the process, we also have to stay true to ourselves, make sure that 
we show them what we stand for, what we stand against, what our lives was all about, not just necessarily the fact that, hey, we wanted to have everything devoted to our kids. That's important, but I want to make sure that they also understand who we were uh, as well. Oh, and I think you bring up a really good point there that you still need to be standing for something, you know, and, and something powerful that moves you to want to do more. Because it sounds like for you, you just had that in your heart that you wanted to impact more people than you were. You wanted Absolutely. to do even more good. Absolutely. Which I is mean, I, I come from a long lineage of philanthropists. So eventually, every time I succeed, I'm like, okay, well, what's next? And I naturally, it has to serve a bigger cause. And that basically was where I pretty much started my next journey into the entrepreneurship world, basically, because I knew that I have skills. I knew that I was blessed with certain things in my life, including my family. And I wanted to know how else I could go ahead and uh, make an impact in the world. And for many of us, one of the things that we do is we try to do whatever we can survive so that our children can thrive and show up as the full self but sometimes in the process of doing that what we are inadvertently teaching our kids is to put themselves second because we're putting ourselves second and putting somebody else first their wants needs time all of those things so i'm brain biased basically because of my training so the way i look at it is our brain our children's brain is nothing more than a reality emulator. It looks at the world at large and tries to convert it into chemical and neurological signals and recreate that universe inside this skull, which is kind of detached from the rest of the world. So in doing so, whatever signal it receives, that becomes part of its reality. So wouldn't you want your kids to put themselves first? Wouldn't you want your kids to know what they stand for, what they stand against? Wouldn't you want your kids to be in meaningful relationships, meaningful jobs, uh, knowing what makes them happy? That comes from you showing them what that actually looks like. I think one of the challenges that we have in general, uh, incorporating a healthy lifestyle and a positive career and a relationship and supportive network and putting all these different pieces together, one of the challenges, and not to put the blame, but our example was our parents did exactly that. They gave of themselves everything they had so that we can become the best that we can be. But we never actually learned how to put all of this together and what it looks like in real life, in practice. So when the time comes to show our kids, we struggle to put our health, our fitness, our relationship, our career, and our ambitions all together, show them our cohesive self. Uh, so this is basically where we want to break that cycle for the next generation and show them by example what it will look like so that they'll have an easier time than we did. Oh, that's so true. And I love that because it's really a lot of what I teach too with the hero's journey. I tell people that, you know, I want my kids to go on the hero's journey. I want them to live their lives. I want them to be better than I am. But if I'm not willing to go on that, my journey, I'm not going to know what it's like. 
and they're not either. And I love that you connect that with the neuroscience is that our kids are watching us. We all know that, but there is really a whole neuroscientific component to that as well. Exactly, exactly. So let's go back to the neuroscience of it since we're talking about that. Yeah. So um, let's just talk about it. Let's go from the big picture to the small picture. First of all, if you're interested in controlling your destiny, if you're interested in controlling your life, then at the foundation, at the core of that is your body. You know, that is the tool. That is the thing that you have under the most, that is under the most direct control of yourself, right? All yeah. the other stuff, be it the closest people to you, to your job and everything else in society and the world, they're not as much under your control as your own body and if your body is the tool by which you create something you manifest something in this world then it becomes very important for you to be able to control and support your body and the organ that is responsible for controlling your body call me biased is your brain right so oh, yeah. <laughs> in order to control your brain you need to be able to support it. I always say support your brain so that it in turn can go ahead and support you. So to support your brain, there are some fundamental things that need to be there. Everything else happens top down and inside out. If you approach it in that angle, things in life, be it personal and internal or external as far as relationships and what you want to achieve in life becomes that much more easy and that much more effortless to happen. So those four principles are as follows. You guys ready? The first one is to have the proper building blocks and the fuel so that you can support your brain. That is your nutrition, right? Water, nutrition, the food that you eat, right? So that's the fuel and the building blocks for your brain and your body. Then the next part is the rest. Because if your brain is exhausted, it's not going to be able to utilize the resources that it has properly. In fact, it needs time and a downtime so that it can go ahead and start utilization, repair, and rebuild, rebuild itself and the body. That happens through rest. Now, if you have rest and if you have the foundational blocks of nutrition and fuel, then the last part, the next part is oxygen and oxygenation. Think about a jet engine. A jet engine is useless in outer space because there's no oxygen. So you've got this amazing engine, you give it the fuel, you've given it the rest, but in order for it to be able to burn the fuel, it needs oxygen. Proper breathing, oxygenation, the air quality, uh, your rest would actually saturates the tissues with oxygen all of those become very, very important for you to be able to burn the fuel that you give it. So the oxygenation becomes very, very important. And then once you have all of these components, now you have all the building blocks, you've got the oxygen to burn the fuel, you've got the rest. So the brain is now supported and ready to perform a task. You cannot ask the brain to perform a task if you have not adequately supported it in this way. In private practice, oftentimes the first month, I would just go ahead and spend the whole time addressing just these three components that I told you. Before I would ask that little brain to do something that it had never been done before. 
that I had never done before. That before I could reprogram that and rewire that brain, I needed to make sure that it was supported with rest, fuel, and oxygen. Once those were in place, then comes proper neural stimulation. Now, proper neural stimulation is not sugar, it's not caffeine, and it's not video games. Proper <laughs> neural stimulation comes in the form of movement. Now, why movement? And more specifically, this is movement in gravity across different planes in your body and incorporating as many senses as possible. Because what that does is it will get all of these signals to go to your brainstem. And there is an area in your brainstem, which is kind of like the metronome for your brain. It's responsible, kind of just like a maestro in a concert, for coordinating different parts of your brain. Our brain is powerful, not because it's the biggest one in the world, but because it has the ability to utilize many different brain centers that are super specialized simultaneously. And that's where our brain power comes from. So that simultaneous coordination and utilization of those brain centers falls under your brain stems into your olive and that, that nucleus in there. Now, the movement and the utilization of the many different uh, sensory organs allows you to stimulate that area maximally. And as a result, it learns to go ahead and get in touch and connect your body and your mind together. So if that process doesn't happen in the child's development, then you can end up with things from developmental delays to learning disabilities to other things that in adult life uh, can be something like brain fog or being scatterbrained and things like that. So it becomes important for us to support our brain and stimulate it in ways that allows it to go ahead and utilize its abilities to its fullest. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And I think a lot of people are not thinking about giving their brains the proper care in order for them to be in a good place. And then when we have neural stimulation, proper neural stimulation, I think the part of our whole society's issues probably come down to the fact that we are giving them some of so many of those improper neural stimulants. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you said the way to properly stimulate your brain is with a lot of movement and incorporating as many senses as you can. So mm -hmm. let's relate that to learning. Um, okay. You know, we, we hear all about these different learning styles. And so, you know, say aim it towards your child's preferred learning styles, but I've always just thought, and this might just be because I have so many kids um, and I can't remember all their learning styles, but <laughs> I always just thought, why not, why don't we just do all of them? You know, so to give us your thoughts on learning styles and... So I guess the most relevant thing, given the current pandemic and the climate that we live in, is my concern with the distance learning that exists currently, uh, which is primarily on screen. So one of the things that I wanna make sure that I emphasize is that research suggests that unless your job literally is flying a drone via a simulator or something that is on screen, real world skills do not translate to online on screen 
learning. So there is this period, especially in younger children, younger than six years of age, where they can see something on the screen and it does not have a real world meaning to them. It's just something they saw on the screen. So this becomes really important when we're talking about learning and realizing that most of the learning that you're doing has to ultimately apply to the real world and the skills that we need outside in society. And we need to understand this. It's a big concern because when the pandemic hit, a lot of people thought that, well, we're just gonna go ahead and transfer what we used to do in public schools. We're just gonna go ahead and put the kids in front of a screen and do the same thing. And it doesn't work like that. Anybody who has done homeschooling knows this, that uh, the process of learning is not that you just sit and read a text on screen or get preached to on the screen like a movie, that you actually get a task assigned and then you have to go and go through the learning process, open a book, like just take the example of how we used to search for something. When I was growing up, if you needed to search for something, you would look at an encyclopedia, at a dictionary, a thesaurus, and in the process, you would not just type in the word and the answer pop up. You would skim through the pages. There's actual movement of going and getting the book and preparation, opening it. And as you're skimming through, you also see other things. So you actually can start learning other things that you weren't necessarily searching for. But now you just type in the world and Google pops up the answer for you. So this is a very different type of learning there is compared to where it was before. So when it comes to learning, we need to make sure that the kids move in the real world, going through the processes of movement, as far as how to handle an object, how to use a scissor. You cannot teach a kid how to cut in a straight line just by watching the screen. They actually have to pick up the scissor, connect their eyes and the other hand and the scissor and go through the process, feel what it feels like to cut something, something that's soft, something that's hard, how to cut around the curve and gain that skill. You cannot teach that on, in, on the screen basically. So this real world learning needs to happen. Extremely important in kids before the age of six because this frontal cortex, because of how humans evolved and the fact that our brain is not fully developed when we are born, has to happen in those first few years of life. And if it doesn't happen, then later on when we need more complex forms of learning, because that's kind of layered on top of this primitive and more basic real world learning, we're gonna have difficulty with certain abstract things like algebra or geometry and trigonometry because we never learned those foundational pieces that were tangible to us. So, uh, it becomes important to understand that. So that stimulation happens through movement. I'll give you another example. We talked about proper neural stimulation. One of these things, let's take the example of crawling, which ultimately becomes walking, right? When you are walking, you move your left hand forward and your right foot forward at the same time, while the right foot and the, uh, or the right leg and the left hand uh, are moving backwards. And this process kind of stimulates and coordinates one side and then the other in, the, in this kind of a fashion between the front of one side and the back of the other side of the brain. 
And that process of coordination is essential for you to get a handle on how to use different parts of your brain simultaneously. So just simply going out for a walk and getting extra oxygen, the vitamin D in your skin, all of those, and then getting your cardiovascular system running involves also connecting your mind and your body and coordinating all these different brain centers. In addition to that, when you're walking, your head moves in the figure eight in a very small fashion, but you have something called the writer's reflex that keeps your eyes level to the horizon. So all the different muscles in your eyes and your spine all have to synergistically work together to keep that balance. That coordination takes a lot of effort and concentration that happens in your brain uh, without you paying attention to it, but it's important. And later on, this becomes part of you understanding where your body is in the universe. People who never developed that have a difficulty distinguishing self from non-self. So they're more likely to be subject to bullying. They're more likely to have difficulty choosing a career in life, finding fulfilling jobs, or even relationships because they have difficulty knowing what they're for or what they stand against. So when we talk about parenting, we put so much of that effort and emphasis on our parenting style, whereas we need to realize some of these foundational inside things need to exist before you actually can even apply your parenting skills to it. Yeah, wow, that's really fascinating because, um, you know, I have heard that before too. Sometimes kids who just skip the crawling, they have struggles later on in their development. Right, and everything has a window because mm -hmm. our brain cannot develop all of it simultaneously. So sometimes the focus is on one side and then the other side. Initially, it tends to be more sensory and then later on it becomes more motor. So all of these things ultimately um, if you miss that window, if you're too early or too late, then other layers that build on top of those layers tend to kind of be skewed and show issues from time to time. And they will go away, but then some other things pop up later on, basically. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that you're out of luck if your kid didn't crawl or if you didn't do this or you didn't do that. You know, there's always still things you can do, right? Absolutely. That's one of the beauties of it. I mean, if anybody knows or has experienced or has family members who have suffered strokes, we know that a large portion of the uh, functions that they lose during the stroke can come back due to neuroplasticity because our brain rewires and tries to kind of find other ways of performing the task. So the amazing thing about children is that not only do they have the ability to rewire and rebuild and restructure their brains, but they can actually create permanent links. So the difference between a child pre-puberty and post-puberty is that you can get entire deficiencies and things that didn't happen on time completely reversed without any side effects. Now, as you go through the puberty, you still can go ahead and improve things, but that becomes something that the child needs to be aware of as a weakness or something that they need to compensate for. But there's still a lot that they can do to make sure that its effects are minimized and impacts their lives as little as possible. And then they capitalize on their strengths. Yeah, I love that. Our brains are so amazing because even if it doesn't develop like normally, you know, like the normal in the normal pattern, our brains can still compensate, which is truly amazing. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned that video games are not proper neural stimulation. 
<laughs> Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how video games affect our our brains, our children's brains, and what your recommendations are with respect to that. Because I know a lot of times we think, oh, it's going to be a lot easier to let the kids play the video games or to have them take those or use educational video games or online learning stuff that's in front of the screen, maybe not Zoom, but there's a lot of educational programs that seem like they could be really helpful, but are they helpful or are they doing more damage? So all of those are good questions. So I'm a little bit at odds with my colleagues on this because I have been in the field and I saw the data that was coming out early on. And I feel in some ways, personally, I feel that as we saw more relying on iPads and little devices that we have to use on a day-to-day -day basis and the fact that the kids eventually get exposed to them and now they're getting exposed to them younger and younger younger i feel like my colleagues uh, got their arms got twisted into accepting the fact that life without screen devices just seems to be impossible in today's world and they have moved this window of when you can go ahead and have screen time uh, further and further uh, down to a younger age basically I personally am on the belief that up until the age of four, screen time needs to be minimized as much as possible. As I mentioned to you guys, part of that reason is the fact that our brain needs to get a stimulation through the brainstem. And when you're visually seeing stuff, the signal comes through your eyes, goes to the back of the brain and then comes forward. So it bypasses this entire motor system and never integrates and incorporates it into the whole process. So you, so, so because of that understanding, I would say that you need to minimize the screen time. Now, all parents know that as soon as you realize that you're gonna be a parent, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about convenience. It ends up being about this young new life that's moving into your life that eventually takes over so much of it, right? So. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Don't do things because of convenience, but do it based on what is in the best interest of your child's health and development. And why do I say that, even if it's inconvenient or sometimes feels impossible? Because you should look at it as an investment. An investment in your child's health and development means that down the road, your bond continues to strengthen that they can step into their full potential and that your monitoring of them, parenting them in the traditional sense of younger kids becomes rapidly reduced, meaning that they become more self-competent or self-reliant as they move on and they are capable of making better and better choices. Anytime you bypass this process of development and health optimization, what ends up happening is down the road, you're buying yourself extra, um, basically, hassles, for lack of a better word, for extra things that you have to do and coach the kids for. So when I go through stages of development of a child, many times people are surprised by how fast I consider children to be self-reliant and independent. Uh, my kids, I'll give you an example. My kids every morning wake up, make their own beds. They do their own laundry. They prepare a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch for themselves. 
and they get ready all by themselves and they show up by the door when the time is ready without the intervening in any of that. They have a system for going through that. They speak five languages, competitive ballroom dancer, multiple different sports. Uh, they still have time to go ahead and devote it to their childhood favorite activity. So it's not like I'm robbing them of their childhood. They have plenty of time for that every single day. And that was not part. And they're, by the way, their ages are six and 10. Right. So the thing is, your relationship with your children needs to evolve from one of parenting and protecting and making sure they survive to one where you're a mentor, to one where you're ultimately a friend. And two people, two, like I mentioned so many times, we kind of move through the scale too early or too late and we mess up the timing. So what happens is too many times we have kids that are grown up yet we still baby them because they never learn to become self-reliant. Uh, this comes from that learning process. This comes from the love of learning. This comes from health and development optimization. So invest the extra time early on so that later on, it doesn't become an inconvenience for you because it always ends up that you have to pay with interest down the road if you don't invest in it early on. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so many teenagers these days, though, that's what they do. They just play video games. And so are you saying that maybe when they're playing all these video games, they're not learning to be self-reliant or how, how does that connect? Okay. So going back to the screen time thing, um, before the age of six, you want to, before the age of four, you want minimal screen time. From four to six, it should be limited to about 20 minutes a day. And from six to preteen, no more than an hour. Now you can choose how you want to distribute that time, but ultimately screen time needs to be limited. And also you want to definitely supervise what the screen time is being used for. For instance, learning tools is a very different thing. Like for instance, learning a language uh, online is very different than watching or playing a video game that involves shooting at things, for instance, right? So you wanna make sure that you stimulate at least the neural pathways responsible for skills that are relevant and useful in real life, all right? Um, so that becomes important. Many of the things that we do with screens tends to shut down our postural muscles, tends to shut down our parasympathetic system, which is responsible for resting, healing, digesting. So these things will be affected the longer people stay on screens. And, um, and then also you got to realize there's only a certain amount of time in the day, right? So if you take two hours and devote it to screens, then that two hours is also being taken away from some other activity that might be more beneficial to the child. There's just so many hours left for them to be active, to be doing other stuff like socialization, things like that. And by the way, socialization in the real world and on online are completely different skills. So, so both of them need to exist. Now for teenagers, there is definitely more leeway. They're more developed, their brain is more developed. But again, it's still the contents, the, um, the amount of time, all of those things needs to be monitored. Hopefully 
the children have grown up in a home environment where they understand the pros and cons of screens. So by the time they're becoming teenagers, they can actually make those decisions themselves and try and test things out. Uh, so that it's not like you telling them, but it becomes part of their identity to understand how to limit their exposure to something that might be good for them or not good for them. Now, I love that because, you know, sometimes I think as parents, we may feel like we're always nagging our kids to get off the screens. And unless we are teaching them the real world skills of how to moderate what's right. and make those choices of what's good and what's not good for them, um, it will be a battle. Yep. But if we can parent and set the limits, I think that that's really going to be what is most beneficial for our kids. And I love how you, you frame that for, you know, making these decisions. I, I know a lot of times parents will ask, my son does this much on screens every day. Is that too much? And, and I think, you know, the question really is as well. Is it helping him become his best self? If not, then maybe have a little chat with your son and set some boundaries. I guess this would be a good place for me to bring up the gift that I have for the audience members as well, because it actually addresses the three principles that I think are essential for unlocking the children's potential. Uh, one of them is the fact that you always keep in the back of your mind the importance of your relationship and what you want your relationship with your children to be not just short term but long term so the first part of that principle talks about that the second part of it is about how the world operates getting your kids to understand that they're naturally curious about knowing about the universe because it's part of their survival that they need to understand the rules the consequences and all of those things so uh, that's the second principle and then the last principle is for them to have the room to actually make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. Uh, and for some of us helicopter parents out there, that's something that might not have existed when we were growing up, or maybe it existed too much and now you're trying to steer away from it. Uh, so regardless of where it is, those principles need to be there uh, so that the kids not only understand how the world operates, but also they understand their place in the world and what they want to, how they want to show up in the world and develop their sense of identity as a result. And then once they have their sense of identity, it would be important for them as they grow up to know that A, they're not attached to you anymore, and B, what is your role in their lives? So initially when they're young, you know, you're part of their world and inseparable from it. But later on, they have their own life, but they still need to know where you fit in it. And hopefully it's not a tug of war that, hey, you never call me. Um, so, so we want to make sure that we get it to a point where, you know, um, we have a very, very supportive and positive relationship way into adulthood and even our golden years. Oh, yeah, that is wonderful. And that is such a cool um, concept that you have and you're giving this to our listeners so you can tell them where to get that in a minute but I just want to recap that because really you know we want our kids to be able to live up to their full potential we want to unlock their greatness inside 
and help empower them to do that. But sometimes it's a little tricky because you tend to want to say, if you do it my way, then you know it's all going to be good. But but it doesn't work like that. They need to learn that for themselves as well. But we can be there as their supporters. So I love those three things you said. You know, focus on the importance of relationships, teaching them how the world works and how they fit in, and give them that environment, that room to grow to make the mistakes and not shame them for making mistakes and help them learn from those to become better. One of the biggest skills that we can teach our children is how to relate to others, ultimately how to become good parents themselves, right? So that's one of the hallmarks of our civilization and how we pass it down generations. So um, we need to give them this infrastructure that is protective and supportive, yet open enough for modification and improvement. Uh, and that's a fine balance. That's, I think, one of the biggest challenges as parents for us to be able to show them that, yes, this part is preset. I'm supposed to make sure that you stay alive. But then at the same time, do realize I do make mistakes as well. And I am in the process and this journey of trying to improve myself as well, right? So I always say this, you talked about the hero's journey. One of the things that I talk about is parents are like superheroes. They're the first superheroes to a child, right? And when you look at what really makes a superhero a superhero, there are three things. Number one is that superheroes have special abilities, right? And number two, superheroes have doubts. Number three, superheroes have certain mentors and networks and support that allows them to overcome the odds, basically. So look at parents. When children look at their, uh, their parents, they're in awe because the parents are big and strong and they have knowledge about the world that they, can, they cannot even fathom how the parents drive, how they do this. And they're just amazing, right? And so they have all these special skills. They turn to them for answers. But at the same time, as parents, we all know they have doubts. The odds are stacked against us, all of those things, right? Uh, and then lastly, in overcoming these odds, we need the support. We need the structure that allows us to go ahead and reframe my mind and make mistakes and still be able to overcome from them and overcome the odds as well. So thank you guys for being superheroes in your kids' lives. Yeah, I love that because... that's so true because like when kids are little they look up to you and they think that you are everything because you are to them and then as you get older the teenage or the kids get older the teenagers start to be like wait a second mom (laughs) (laughs) you're not perfect but but you know that is part of the developmental stages right for them to realize it's okay yeah it's okay to not be perfect and to move on to the next level and keep learning and growing. Right. Yeah, the kids basically go through this phase where they learn the laws and the rules as as created by you. And they assume that that is how the world operates. But then there's this period in their lives before the teenage years where they start testing these things and looking for consistencies. And when they see the inconsistencies, that's when the process of all right well this doesn't apply this rule that i've been i've learned doesn't seem to apply to me 
uh, or in, in this particular case. So which rules apply to me and which rules they don't? And this is the birth of their own identity, basically, in the teenage years. So they need to see those inconsistencies. They search for those inconsistencies intuitively. Uh, and then when they start seeing that, they realize that, ah, you know, I guess I am different than how I thought I exist in the world. Yeah, that's so good too to realize too, because I think sometimes we think that the kids are just being ornery and trying to be rebellious. And, and really it is, they're just testing. They're just trying to figure out who they are and, and where they fit in. Right. And they also learn how to play the system as well. But, you know. <laughs> just, just like toddlers, right? I told yeah. you this goes in cycles, right? So yes. the toddlers learned independent will. It's like, huh, if I say no, it makes this impact in the world. And I can say no, despite other people saying yes. And that's where they start practicing free will. So they realize that they're separate from the world, the universe outside of them. And that's what you're seeing. The tantrums and all that is a shift in focus, not necessarily that they don't want to do it. It's just that they're practicing free will. So, yeah. And really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's really what life is all about, is being able to make your own choices. And hopefully you're learning how to make the good choices. And that's really what we want for our kids as well, is to learn how to make the choices that are going to be the best for them and for the people around them as well. Right. So, yeah. All right, I think our time is about up here, but why don't you let us know how our audience can get that free three principles or three essential principles for unlocking your kid's potential and just let us know how people can find you. Absolutely. So um, Molly, I'm, I'm going to give you the link and feel free to put it uh, with this podcast. Uh, and for all you guys that have stuck with us to the end, thank you for your patience and giving time out of your busy schedule to listen to us. Uh, but basically, if you click on that link, you can go ahead and receive uh, the three principles to unlocking your child's potential for free. And once you do that, it also pops this little video that says, uh, basically, we know that sometimes you need a soundboard or a network or support to kind of bounce ideas off of. So if you feel like you are in need of a mentor or somebody to talk to or listen to, I'll be more than glad to help and support you uh, so there's an application, you can fill that out and apply uh, to have a conversation with me where we can discuss what the challenges, uh, what challenges might exist in your life and hopefully guide you in the right direction. And if I have any programs that might help you, I can offer those to you at that time as well. Uh, I truly believe that we have a responsibility to our future and humanity's future. And the best place to do that is by supporting the first teachers of the next generation, you guys, the parents, uh, as much as possible. So I'll be glad to uh, and honored to be able to uh, fulfill that position and that role for you guys, should you choose to do so. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that. So I also just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your vast wisdom about helping our kids grow up to their potential. And also, I was going to ask you one other thing, and now I have forgotten it. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> I got a weak brain link there, I guess. <laughs> um, 
I was just going to ask you before we sign off, what would be your top advice to a mom who wants to help, you know, develop her parents' brain, uh, her parents, her children's brain? <laughs> you know, what, what you gave us those four wonderful things, but what would be the number one focus that or best advice that you would give? So I always, my go-to phrase is optimize your brain and you can optimize humanity's potential. So according to that, those four foundational things that I showed you or I talked to you about, the, that's basically what you want to start with. And sometimes it's difficult to do it for, for yourself because you, as parents, you want to give it to your children. But understand that if you can go ahead and lead by example, and do that in your own life, you set a model for them where they can emulate inside their brain. So instead of you having to preach to them and tell them what to do and what not to do, they see that, they internalize it as that's the normal lifestyle. And your parenting becomes effortless, but in the process, you also end up faring better and being healthy as well. So optimize your brain and you can optimize humanity's potential. I love that so much. And I love how you say, you know, for the kids, they start thinking that's the normal health lifestyle. So you start doing the things you want your kids to think is the normal lifestyle and it'll be happening for them. The funny thing about that though, is most of our brains are like, oh, but that's too slow. You know, but it is slow, but it works. And it gains momentum too, because it builds on itself. And eventually you get to a point where it's on autopilot. And when it's on autopilot, that's when it truly works. And it doesn't take a long time. It takes about, you know, uh, 90 days for you to develop ha new habits. So if you want to develop a new lifestyle, within 90 days, three months from now, you can go ahead and develop that. And then it's just practicing it. Uh, and it just gets better. It's, it's a never ending quest. We can continue to evolve and improve, uh, but going through that process of continuously improving yourself, improving your lifestyle, how you show up in the world is the biggest lesson and the biggest benefit that you can give to your children. Absolutely, I love it. Thank you so much. And we will, I don't know. See you next week, but it's not see, it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the Building Heroes podcast. Can you help more people join the Building Heroes movement by sharing this podcast? More people can find it when you subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. For more help on Building Heroes in your home, get the free Building Heroes resources at www.buildingheroesacademy.com